0: Oh my goodness, good morning, good afternoon. Whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day. My name is Zach Shomler. This is Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much for tuning in. Today is, oh my God, it's like Sunday night. It, it's it's really Monday morning. It's 2.30 in the morning where I'm at. Um, it's been a weird weekend. It's been a weird last couple of days. Uh, we'll get into that in a minute. There's a, I really, there's a really important story I want you to hear. Um, but first, I want to ask you to hear this. This is Ask Zach episode two. The way it works, I'm answering questions from Patreon supporters at patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. The way it works, you go to my Patreon. Again, it's patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want. Please do. It literally pays my bills. But a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. You can send me a direct message or a comment on a post on Patreon. Um, And I do not guarantee to answer your question if you submit one. But what I do guarantee is I look at every question with my eyeballs. I pick the best couple. Then once a week I sit down and record an episode of Ask Zach. This is Ask Zach episode two. And um, this episode is late. It's Sunday. It's now the third week I've been doing it. It's really the third week Ask Zach should have been happening. Uh we're doing Ask Zach. We're doing two this week because I missed the end of last week. Um, I had a really significant life event. I had a really hard um life-altering thing. And and I'll be honest. So in my life, four years ago, roughly, uh, a little over four years, a little less than about three years and 11 months ago, my younger brother took his life and died. And it was brutal. It was painful. It was, I guess, three years and 10 months. Point is, it's one of the most impactful, hard things I've ever been through. This is a similar event. Um, I'm really struggling a lot. Uh, I'm just trying to be honest about it. This episode is late. Here's why. Um, And I have to really preface the story by explaining that I learned a lot from the past um, in September I left my college and I told people hey it's personal I don't want to talk about it and for a lot of people that wasn't good enough and so because I gave no information about that at all uh, people started a lot of rumors there was all kinds of speculation there was a reddit feed about it with like 40 I it's it just and I don't look I'm not on reddit I have no I just people kept sending me I keep I don't I don't know what goes on. I I just I got a lot of crap about this thing about why I left my college, and I had to deal with a lot of drama. And I, I just wanted it to be a private matter, and it was not. I I lost control of that because I didn't give any information. So, um, if you've ever heard the phrase "nip it in the bud," I want to read what Google says about that phrase. When you Google "nip it in the bud," this is what comes up: it's to suppress or destroy something at an early stage. Um, The reason for this is to you know to remove a bud. From a plant is to prevent a flower and fruit from forming. So, if you were trying to remove a flower from having a flower grow, you'd nip it in the bud early, and it would stop it from happening. It's preventative measures. And so, I want to have some. I want to give some preventative measures for uh, my personal life <laughs> right now. Uh, my girlfriend and I just broke up, and um, I don't want rumors. I don't want speculation. Um, I'm going to give a little bit of info. That's all I'm going to give. I hope that's enough. In fact, I want it to be enough. Uh, It was a mutual decision. She's an an amazing person. Uh, It's, for me, very painful. It's very sad. Um, You know, for people who, you know, some of the people who follow me on social media also follow her. And I ask you, please don't be disrespectful to her. Be, do not be disrespectful to her. She's a private person. Uh, She's a very good person. We were best friends for five years. Um, So please be respectful. Leave her alone. Don't be mean to her. Uh, and, and you know, I just, uh, I want to say that this episode is late because I've been struggling with a breakup, a really hard one that has been difficult for me. Um, and so again, I want to repeat, this is last week's episode of ask Zach. Uh, it's a couple days late because I have just been having a hard time. And, uh, you know, the next episode of the show is going to be recorded on Tuesday. That's the episode where I'll talk about the 49ers and the saints and the Ravens and the bills and drew lock and Tom Brady and the Chiefs, and what happened with the refs. I got a lot to say. We'll talk about the college football playoff. I'm recording that episode on Tuesday. I'm just giving myself time, and I'm taking my time, trying to heal, trying to do the best I can. Um, I, I know that it's really hard, and this is advice for people. If you work in the creative field, understand that when you're grieving, it's hard to be creative, and it just takes longer to do everything because you're just you don't feel quite right. You're really struggling, and so I'm just trying to be honest about that uh, that's a little bit of information. I hope that I want that to be enough. Like I, I, I please, it's a private thing, and that's all I want to say. Um, and just know I'm having a hard time, and and I'm doing the very best I can. I want to start with a question from Liam. Liam writes in and says, "Do you think the air raid will work in the NFL?" Will the air raid work in the NFL? Sort of is my answer. Um, the air raid offense is most famous from. Washington State quarter, uh, head coach, Mike Leach. Now, his version of the air raid offense would not work in the NFL. Uh, Mike Leach does not make adjustments. He, I think the equivalent of what Mike Leach does at Washington State is similar to a guy on Madden that finds like three or four plays that really work. You know that guy, if you ever played Madden, if maybe you haven't, but there's a thing you can run a slant, and if you just wait long enough on the slant, eventually it comes open. Mike Leach is kind of like that guy who runs the same play or he'll run four verticals all all game. And just over and over again, just kind of, it's kind of cheap and you're like, you get kind of tired of it. And that's what Mike Leach does. Mike Leach runs the same kind of concepts all the time. He doesn't make adjustments. He never runs the ball. Now, Cliff Kingsbury is the Arizona Cardinals head coach. He runs what people call the air raid as well. But he's not running Mike Leach's air raid offense. He throws the ball a ton, but he makes in-game adjustments and he makes adjustments week to week. Uh, he runs the ball more frequently. He's throwing... A ton in the NFL, but he's got a willingness to run the ball and make that work. Um, And so the Cardinals offense isn't really an air raid, the way you would call Mike Leach's offense. In in Arizona, they throw the ball a ton. They use four receivers a lot. uh, And they steal yards with short passes, bubble screens, short passes underneath. But it's not exactly like Mike Leach's air raid system. Mike Leach doesn't make adjustments. He doesn't have a willingness to run the ball. The Arizona Cardinals are different because they do that. It's more of a spread-style offense. They do throw the ball a lot. But I wouldn't call the Arizona Cardinals offense an air raid offense traditionally. And the truth is that Mike Leach's air raid offense would not work in the NFL. So that's how I would answer that question, right? If you're going to be in the NFL, you can't do the same thing every week. You have to make adjustments. We've seen uh, Washington, University of Washington, the Huskies dominate Washington State every single year in the Apple Cup, which is their their annual meeting. And the reason for that is because Washington State doesn't ever change their game plan. They do the same thing every week. And once you figure it out, you go, man, they're not going to make a change. We can just dominate that all the time. And that, let me tell you, would not at all work in the NFL. So Mike Leach, air raid offense, that would not work in the NFL. The next question of the day is from Devin. Devin writes in and says, Zach, I was wondering who do you think should win coach of the year in college football? Most people will say either PJ Fleck from Minnesota, Ed Orgeron from LSU, or Ryan Day from Ohio State. Now, as a Louisville fan and native, I have a bias, but I believe it should be Louisville's first-year head coach, Scott Satterfield. Now, I restructured the next part of the question, but this is the, the gist of what Devin wrote in. He said, Scott Satterfield took a team that was 2-10 last year. The two wins were against FCS, Indiana State, and mid-major Western Kentucky. The team had also quit on former coach Bobby Petrino. Scott Satterfield took that bad team, and this year they went 7-5 and five and finished second in the Atlantic Division in the AAC. They even beat ranked a ranked Wake Forest team on the road and a Coastal Division champion, Virginia, at home. Some big wins. They're 7-5. and five. They were awful last year. Uh, that's a good story. I didn't actually know anything about Scott Satterfield until so I got this message, and I looked it up. I was like, wow. That's really impressive what Scott Satterfield did at Louisville. Now, to me, I wanted to give him respect. I wanted to mention him. But to me, um, Coach of the Year for me comes down to Ryan Day at Ohio State or P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. And the question honestly is, is it the Coach of the Year? Is it the best coaching performance of the year? Or is the, does this award Coach of the Year go to the most successful Coach of the Year? Uh, I want to I talk about something. In the 2015-2016 NBA season, the Golden State Warriors won 73 games. And this will all make sense in a minute. I'm going to explain to you why. I'm going to help you understand my reasoning for why I think the college football coach of the year should be one player, one guy. Now, the NBA regular season, the Warriors went 73-9 and in the 2015-16 NBA season. They were a great team that had an impressive season. And their head coach, Steve Kerr, won the NBA coach of the year. Now, the next year, the following year, the Warriors added Kevin Durant. They had four All-Stars now on their team. They had Kevin Durant, Steph Curry, Klay Thompson, and Draymond Green. And that year, the year with Kevin Durant, (laughs) Steve Kerr wasn't even in the top five of voting for the NBA Coach of the Year. Now, part of that, you have to acknowledge, part of that is simply because he won the year before. Once you win it, it's hard to win it again. But the other part was that his roster was so incredible, nobody was impressed with what he did. I mean, congratulations, you got a Ferrari and you won a race. You got one of the best cars in the market. You, you beat a Toyota Corolla in a race. No one, no one was shocked or that surprised that the Warriors did as well as they did with four All-Stars. So for me, again, the college football coach of the year comes down to two coaches. Ryan Day, the head coach of Ohio State, and PJ Fleck, the head coach of Minnesota. Ohio State is thirteen and zero. They're, I believe, currently they I can't remember. They're two or three in the nation. They're, they made the college football playoff. They're thirteen and zero. They're phenomenal. And Minnesota is ten and two. Now here to this to me is why I would go with PJ Fleck in this situation. Ryan Day, Ohio State's head coach, is in his first year, which is why part of why he's brought up. It's really impressive. Now Urban Meyer was Ohio State's coach last year. Urban Meyer built this roster, Urban Meyer built this team. It's an incredible roster loaded with NFL talent. So to me, I look at this and go Ryan Day was handed a Ferrari and congratulations, he went 13 and 0. He did a good job. Like no nobody, no disrespect to Ryan Day. He did a great job. You you can't you have to acknowledge Ryan Day clearly is a very good capable coach. In fact, he's really good with I love his play calling. X's and O's, he's phenomenal. But because of the talent he was given at Ohio State, I'm less impressed with Ryan Day. I'm like, okay, great. Like, you, you won. You should have won. You had the best roster in college football. Some people literally say the best roster ever. Of course, you'd better win. <laughs> you did your job. How about P.J. Fleck? He won 10 games at Minnesota. The last time Minnesota won 10 games was 2003. He turned around their program. And He's in year three. These are his guys. These are the people he recruited. This is the quarterback he recruited. These are the people that Ryan, that PJ Fleck chose to build a program with. He, his culture, I think deserves recognition for what he's built at Minnesota. If you ask me, he exceeded expectations at Minnesota. He got a New Year's Bowl. They're playing on New Year's Day, the Outback Bowl. They're playing against Auburn. That's awesome. Minnesota, to me, deserves respect and I think he's the coach of the year because what's a more impressive coaching job? Dominating with an incredible roster, which you should, or taking Minnesota, a traditionally mediocre program, and getting them to 10 wins in a New Year's Day bowl. P.J. Fleck, what he's done at Minnesota is more impressive of a coaching job to me than what Ryan Day has done at Ohio State. No disrespect to Ryan Day. No disrespect to Ohio State. I'm just more impressed. And my coach of the year is P.J. Fleck at Minnesota. Okay, W. Tyler writes in, how about the NFL Coach of the Year? W. Tyler writes in and says, hey, Zach, I was interested in who you thought would be potential candidates for Coach of the Year in the NFL. Who do you think are the top three or so, and who would you give it to as, if it was your choice? As a biased Dolphins fan, I like that you recognize that. I think Brian Flores should be top five, maybe, even, maybe not the winner, though. Thanks for the great content. P.S. The w stands for William. I just go by my middle name, Tyler. So W. Tyler is William Tyler. Interesting. I like that name. Um sounds British. I don't know why. It just seems British to me. Um yeah, so first of all, you have to recognize Brian Flores has done a wonderful job in Miami. I think you have to uh to, win, to do what he's done with a bad roster in Miami. And we I mean people were like the Dolphins are not going to win a game this. People literally narrated the beginning of the year was this team is so bad, they can't win a game this year. And because of coaching and because they've built they've Their team has gotten better throughout the year with coaching and guys meeting in the right spot and following assignments. The Dolphins have won a couple games this year, and that's got to be impressive. Like, okay, the Dolphins have the right guy. Now, that's not coach of the year worthy, though. You won three games, maybe four by the end of the year. That's not—Brian Flores isn't the coach of the year, and, and, you know, William didn't say that he should be either. Now, to me, coach of the year in the NFL comes down to two coaches, either John Harbaugh, the head coach of the— Baltimore Ravens, or Mike Tomlin, the head coach of the Pittsburgh Steelers. John Harbaugh with the Ravens has done a phenomenal job. The team is 11-2. And, and to me, what's so cool is not just the fact that he's a good coach and the culture, yada, yada, uh, and the fact that he's, do, he's winning again with a new group of players like he won years ago. To me, what's cool is that John Harbaugh had vision to embrace Lamar Jackson and said, this kid's special. And he saw what Lamar Jackson could become and gave the okay to build an offense around his skill set. To me, that's awesome. They went against the grain. They, They did something different with Lamar Jackson that's not really ever been done before by running the ball with their quarterback a lot, using play action. They have, you know, three tight ends. Sometimes they have many, like four guys in the backfield. It's pretty impressive, and they're doing it differently than other teams have. And to me, that's really cool. And the vision of John Harbaugh to believe in Lamar Jackson when a lot of other people didn't is really cool to me. That deserves respect. I, like, I didn't even believe in the Jackson at times. I was critical of him. I was wrong. I was stupid. John Harbaugh saw something I didn't see, other people didn't see. You got to recognize that's awesome. John Harbaugh's done a phenomenal job. Now, to me, though, the coach of the year in the NFL is Mike Tomlin. A guy. It's funny, they're in the same division, even. Mike Tomlin, the Steelers head coach. Um, I know I've been critical of him in the past. I, I can't recall exactly what I said, but I know at some point I've been critical of Mike Tomlin This is the year that changed my outlook from, like, he's good to I have a new reverence for Mike Tomlin. He's phenomenal. I respect what he's done this year so much. You know, the start of the year, at the beginning of the year, the Steelers' starting quarterback, Ben Roethlisberger, got hurt. He's out for the year. And so Mason Rudolph became the starter. He was a third-round pick a couple years ago. Everybody believes Mason Rudolph is the next guy, so we're like, okay, great. We can find out how good is Mason Rudolph, really. This is his chance to kind of grab Pittsburgh by the horn and say, this is my city. I'm here. I've arrived. And he didn't. <laughs> he really played pretty mediocre and not great. But the Steelers, despite their, their having a, a middle to mediocre quarterback, found themselves in the playoff hunt. And week 12, really week 11 mid-game, but week 12, they went with a new starting quarterback, Devlin Hodges, and to me, you know, his name is Duck Hodges because he has a Duck Call story in the past. Look it up. It's amazing. Um, The coaching aspect here with Mike Tomlin is the guts to bench the guy who is your franchise, the guy that Mason Rudolph, the guy that everybody believes is your next franchise quarterback, to bench Mason Rudolph for an undrafted rookie free agent, Duck Hodges, to have the guts to do that, and then win and do well. That's cool to me. That's a good coaching job. And then you got to also acknowledge, man, the Pittsburgh Steelers have had so many injuries this year. A lot of starters have been injured, hurt. Receiver Juju Smith-Schuster, out. Uh, running back James Connor out. Linemen, defensive ends, uh, defensive backs, linebackers, uh, players everywhere for the Steelers have been injured and out at parts of this year. Uh, I said defensive ends. I meant defensive backs. Excuse me. Um, and yet... Despite all the injuries, like multiple a week, many, many starters throughout different parts of the year gone. Massive holes in their roster on paper. Despite that, the Steelers right now are eight and five. They're in the playoff hunt right now. If the playoffs started today, they would actually be the sixth seed in the AFC playoff race, in the AFC playoffs just in general. Not to mention, you also have to acknowledge Mike Tomlin has dealt with crap this year. They had a, a, an incident where they got into a fight with the Cleveland Browns. Miles Garrett. Hit Mason Rudolph over the head with a helmet. They had problems. It wasn't great. And the way that Mike Tomlin handled that chaos and then the other chaos with injuries and the quarterback situation and this and that, Mike Tomlin's ability to handle drama and chaos and still win games and keep the team focused through all of that is so impressive to me. And that is why he deserves a massive, massive commendation respect to me. If people have doubted Mike Tomlin in the past, you can no longer do it again. Mike Tomlin right now is the NFL Coach of the Year. He, he's going to finish Coach of the Year to me no matter what happens. Whether he may, I don't think he'll even make the playoffs. I still would give him Coach of the Year. It's so impressive what he's done and what he's overcome and the way he's managed and handled chaos. Mike Tomlin, to me, is a 2019 NFL Coach of the Year, and it's, I mean, it's not really that close. I, even if he doesn't make the playoffs, I still give it to him for the job he's done in Pittsburgh. Okay, uh, the next question is a similar one, uh, another of the year type. It is from Michael. Michael writes in, "I don't have it written down. I screwed up big time. Let me find it. I can find it in my in my notes somewhere." The point of this was, it's about comeback player of the year. Michael writes in. Michael says, "Hey Zach, is Ryan Tannehill the comeback player of the year? If not, why? And who is?" Uh, Yeah, man, I think you hit the nail right on the head. Ryan Tannehill, in my opinion, is the NFL comeback player of the year. Now, the definition of that, that award is this. It's a guy who's overcome adversity in the form of not playing in the NFL the previous year or the previous season. And it's usually, not always, but usually due to injury. So last year, Ryan Tannehill got hurt, hurt his throwing shoulder, which is a big deal as he plays quarterback. To hurt your throwing shoulder is is potentially career-ending. He hurt his shoulder, and after six years in Miami, the Miami Dolphins said, you're no longer our franchise quarterback. They moved on from him. They traded Ryan Tannehill to the Tennessee Titans. Ryan Tannehill was traded to the Titans. He was named the backup quarterback behind Marcus Mariota. And then something crazy happened. Week 7, right, really week 6, he got... Ryan Marcus Mariota got benched. They put in Ryan Tannehill. And then week seven, they named Ryan Tannehill the starting quarterback in Tennessee. Now, since then, Ryan Tannehill is six and one as a starter. The Titans started two and four with Marcus Mariota as their starting quarterback. And now they're eight and five and in the playoff hunt. In eight games, he has 1,602 yards, 12 touchdowns, four interceptions, and a 72% completion percentage. He's playing really efficient football. He's making great decisions. And I am so, so happy for him. Absolutely, if you ask me. Ryan Tannehill is the NFL Comeback Player of the Year. He's done phenomenal. He stepped up in a big role. He's a leader. He's the reason why the Tennessee Titans have become a playoff team, probably, potentially. And he really turned around the spirits and the hopes of that franchise. Um, I am so impressed with Ryan Tannehill. I am happy for Ryan Tannehill. Ryan Tannehill, absolutely. Today. And, and really, at the end of the year, still will be, in my opinion, the NFL comeback player of the year. Alex writes in. Alex says, hey, Zach, I hope I'm not too late. In your opinion, who is the best wide receivers currently, who are the best receivers currently playing in the NFL? Man, uh, who are the best receivers in the NFL? I think there are a lot that stand out. A lot of names come to mind when I hear that. I think of you know DeAndre Hopkins comes to mind. Uh, Mike, Evan, Mike Evans in Tampa Bay is a jump ball machine. Michael Thomas in New Orleans. There's a lot of really good receivers out there. Um, and, you know, honestly, I, this is controversial, but forget the off-the-field issues. From just a pure football standpoint, it's really disappointing that Antonio Brown isn't playing this year. His ability to track the ball in the air and to, you know, his body control, the way he, he's so good at deep balls. it's so you know, Antonio Brown cannot be understated. Um, the way he messes with defenders, he'll, like, be running after the ball to lean on a guy and then to have a f- quick five-yard burst to go to the ball, and he just he just out positions guys all the time on deep balls. Uh, Antonio Brown is, is a little bit underappreciated, I think, from a talent perspective. Now, um, to me though, the best receiver in the entire NFL—and it's not really really close—the best receiver in the entire NFL is Julio Jones. He plays for the Atlanta Falcons. He's not flashy. He's not loud. And I think part of that, you know, it costs him is the fact that he, you don't have a lot of sound bites of Antonio of Julio Jones. Have I said who? I hope I've been saying Julio Jones. Julio Jones is the best receiver in the entire NFL. He's phenomenal, um, and he's he's I think a little bit underappreciated because he's not loud and flashy. He's just a guy who does his job and does a really great job at his job. Uh, there's a clip I want you to Google it when the show is over, if you can. Uh, Google Larry Fitzgerald says Julio is the best receiver it's a clip of Larry Fitzgerald the star receiver for the Arizona Cardinals talking to his rookie quarterback Kyler Murray and he says man that guy Julio is the best I've ever seen he's got no weaknesses he's phenomenal and I'm sure that somebody will comment on this video saying, well, Jack, you know, he'll, he'll list statistics and he'll say some n- numbers like this guy has better numbers and this and yada, yada. I don't care about numbers. I don't pay attention to them at all. I have no idea what the numbers are for Julio Jones. Here's what I do know. This is part of my evidence for why Julio is the best. If Larry Fitzgerald, who is a first ballot Hall of Fame receiver, says that Julio Jones is the best he's ever seen, I'm going to believe that Larry Fitzgerald knows a little bit about what he's talking about. But for me, that's just evidence. I want you to watch Julio Jones. He runs incredible routes. He has amazing hands. He's really technical. He does all the little things that nobody appreciates. He gives tremendous effort. He's really smart. He's got speed. His hands are phenomenal. He's got tremendous technical skill. It's so rare you see a guy like Julio Jones, who is both the most physically gifted at what he does, but is also the hardest working. How often do you find a guy? Like, usually the story about anybody is wasted talent. If, like, Tom Brady's not the most talented, but he works the hardest. And Brett Favre was maybe the most talented, but he never did the work. There's a lot of guys, and, and often you hear stories about guys who get by with tremendous talent and never quite work as hard as they could. You ever, we all know a guy from high school who is so gifted physically who just didn't get after it in the weight room or didn't do the footwork, or didn't know the playbook very well. Julio Jones is that guy you knew in high school who is the best you've ever seen physically, who also you've never seen a guy work harder. We have, And and here's what's really cool, right? I, I think Julio is in every category the best. But here's what also is really, really cool. If you look at it, I'm a general manager building a team. There's a gigantic, tremendous, positive from Julio Jones. Number one, he's a good leader. But number two, he never, ever, ever causes drama. The only time I've ever heard a headline about Julio Jones is one time he dropped an earring in a lake, and he he hired a diver to go get his his earring. That doesn't hurt anybody. That's not even drama. That's just an interesting, weird story. He dropped a diamond in a lake. They sent a diver down to try and find the diamond earring. <laughs> and That's the the worst thing we've ever heard about you, and that's not even bad. Julio Jones is unbelievable. He's nothing but positive for his team. He's tremendous work ethic. He's a good leader. He leads by example. He also, I've seen him on the sidelines speak up and talk before. Uh, Man, to me, if I had to poke one receiver all time to be on my team, it's Julio Jones. The guy's a freak of nature. He's, I don't even want to say that. He's tremendously physically gifted. Dude can run, can jump, do everything. But also he's incredibly smart. He works really hard. He's got so much positive to me. Julio Jones is the total package. And, uh, man, work ethic, leadership, smarts, talent, all of it. He has everything. Julio Jones is by far the best receiver in the NFL. And to me, again, it's not close. There's not another guy who's that talented, who works that hard, and does every other thing right. I love, as a former quarterback, I love Julio Jones. I just went on a passionate rant about Julio Jones. I hope you appreciated that. Zombie guy. Zombie guy. 320 writes in. He says, Hey, Zach, I love the show. It has been one of the bright spots in my life right now since my brother's passing November 29th. So, November 29th. So, I want to just say thank you. Man, I didn't know. I I should have read this question closer, dude. I, November 29th, that's like two weeks ago. Not even. uh, Man, I hope Zombie Guy 320, I hope you're taking care of yourself. I've been there. It's hard. It is really hard. Uh, Send me a message on Patreon, honestly. I would love to talk to you. Um, I can't solve all your problems, but I think I can give a little bit of advice. If you want it, if you don't, no problem. I just, man, I, as a human being who's been through that, I lost my brother four years ago. Dude, I am so sorry. Uh, it's not, not a laughing matter. I, I can't even, I can't imagine. It's the worst. It's literally, it's the worst thing I've ever been through. Dude, Zombie guy 320 it's funny that's your username, but on on the real, like, if you need help, come talk to me because I have been there uh, and I, I tremendously feel for you. Now, here's what ZombieGuy320 says. He says, but my question is, what do you think are the major problems the Raiders have to solve to be a playoff team? What do you think? But my question is, my question is, what do you think the major problems the Raiders have to solve to be a playoff team? Also, do you think they have they will have a better offseason or draft This team to me is doing far better than I or anyone really expected. Even after all the drama and hard losses, we have shown major improvement. I just wanted to know your take on it. Yeah, I think first of all, you got to acknowledge the Raiders had hard knocks there. They had Antonio Brown and all this drama and they've overcome it and done well. And to me, that's a mark of a team with good coaching. Now, I believe that in the NFL draft, the Raiders need to be incredibly boring draft an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman. The way to dominate in the NFL, you get your coach, you get your quarterback. The Raiders have both. I love John Gruden. I'm a huge, I believe in him full completely. I'm a big fan of Derek Carr too. A lot of people aren't. I. He's not perfect, but I believe in Derek Carr. He had a, what should have been an MVP season where he got hurt like week 15 or 14 at the end of the year. And after that injury, he was a little bit gun shy. I think he had some, um, it messed with his head a little bit. But I I love Derek Carr. They got the running back situation figured out. They have Josh Jacobs. Uh, I, I love him. I want the Raiders to be disciplined in the NFL draft. Build a dominant team that wins in the trenches and can push other teams around. Draft an offensive lineman and a defensive lineman. In the NFL draft, the Raiders currently would have in the first round the 14th pick. If the draft happened today, they'd have the 14th pick and the 18th pick in the NFL draft. Now, a lot of people are saying they got to draft a receiver. CeeDee Lamb or Jerry Judy. I get it, man. I understand. You want a top receiver? I I hear that completely. But I'll say I think the best receiver in the entire NFL, Julio Jones, is on the Atlanta Falcons, and they're losing games. Why are they losing? They suck up front. Their offensive line is garbage. has been all year. Their defensive line isn't that great. They're, They're missing people behind. A great receiver is awesome. It's a great weapon. It's sexy. It's beautiful. But guess what? It doesn't really have an impact on winning very often. You need you need guys. I'm not like the Patriots are losing because they don't have a guy outside. It's important to have receivers that can win. But if I was, here's a great example. If it was the Patriots, how do you fix their offense? What's more important, an offensive line or receivers? The Patriots should fix their offensive line before they get receivers. Um, I get it. I understand why people want the Raiders to draft a top receiver, but man, draft an offensive lineman, draft a defensive lineman. I understand the offensive line is pretty solid with the Raiders right now. Double down. Make it even better. Make yourself have a dominant NFL offensive line. That's how you win, in my opinion. Um, I think you can get a lot of good receivers later in the draft. There's a lot of receivers out there. There's not. There's a limited supply of great defensive linemen and offensive linemen. If I'm the Raiders, I build a team that's solid up front. I'd be surprised if they did that. I think a sexier draft pick, CeeDee Lamb, is really appealing, especially in Vegas. But, man, I hope the Raiders draft boring and build their team from the front out. Get a great defensive lineman. I think the defensive tackle at Auburn, I think his name's Derek Brown. I I forget his name, but I watched him play. I was like, man, this dude's solid. He's really good up front. Get an offensive lineman. Bolster the front half of your team up front in the trenches. You got the quarterback. You got the coach. You got a running back. Develop and build your offensive and defensive line because you got two first-round picks. The Raiders do. That's what I would do. I think it'd be a huge impact on their team. And that, to me, is how you win a Super Bowl. You win up front in the NFL first before you win outside at receiver, yada, yada. What would solve the Patriots' problems? Let's answer that. An offensive line would be more important for them than the receiver. That's what the Raiders should lean into, too. Please, if I'm the Raiders, I'm begging them. Be boring. Draft offensive line and defensive line. All right, Clutch uh, God writes in. Clutch God says, Hey, Zach, I hope I'm not too late. Everyone thinks they're late. No one's late. You can always answer, you can always send in questions for Ask Zach. Not football related, but I'm currently a senior in high school from Southern California who's considering some schools in the Pacific Northwest, Oregon and University of Portland to be specific. My question is, what are the best and worst parts of living in the Pacific Northwest? What should I or any other kid interested in the area expect when moving there? Thanks for making a great show. My shirt is on the way. P.S., my real name is Quinn Clutch God. Quinn, you could have just—I guess you could have led with my name is Quinn. But you know, and now I, I said Clutch God. We're going to lean into that's kind of funny. Like Clutch God, hello. Um, moving to Portland, moving to the Northwest. I think the Northwest is awesome. Um, here's a, a, a an important detail though: is I live a very isolated life. I think I could live anywhere in the world and be relatively happy. All I need is an internet connection and not to think I'm going to die all the time. Um, I don't think I could live in Miami. Hurricanes scare me. I don't think I could live uh, somewhere where, like Oklahoma City, where tornadoes happen all the time. I just I'm scared of natural disasters. Um, now, the Northwest in general, there is a ton of hiking. There's pretty great weather, like moderate weather. It's not California, but I don't like Calif- like Southern California. I used to live in LA. I don't like the heat there. Uh, in, in the I live in the Portland area. The summer is not too hot ever, and the winter's never too cold. It gets cold. It even snows a little bit, a couple inches, like an inch or two, maybe half an inch sometimes some winters. But for the most part, the Northwest just rains a lot. And not like heavy rain, like little wimpy rain. It, it mists or it uh, it drizzles. There's great hiking. There's no natural disasters. There's not really any earthquakes. Um, there's no hurricanes. There's no tornadoes. I feel relatively safe in the Northwest. I'm, I'm not afraid that a hurricane is going to destroy my, my place I live. Now, um... There's one thing about the Northwest that's West. It's not for everyone. Again, it doesn't affect me, or I don't think it would bother me either. I'm just I don't care about other people and their lives. I don't. Um, but I went I went to college here, and I I I went to college in Portland. I went to a very liberal liberal arts college for football, Lewis and Clark. That was a weird, jarring experience for me. Um, the Northwest is far more. I think the word is unorthodox. Is the word I want to use there. Um, there's a saying that is keep Portland weird. And I want to be clear, the weird isn't for everyone. Um, you know, my friends in Dallas, for example, think about a person from Dallas, Texas. My friends in Dallas would hate Portland. I don't care. I get along with everybody no matter where you're from. Yeah, I just don't. I love people, and I, I if you bleed blood, I love you. Um, but to me, I, you know, I live alone. I never go out. Um, I don't care at all what other people do. Um, all I really care about are sports and hiking and going outside and being left alone. I really like being left alone. Um And I don't pick sides on very many things outside of sports, so I don't care about anything that goes on in the Northwest other than sports and uh, even that. Like, I don't even... The Northwest sports aren't that great, to be honest, so I I follow national sports. Um, But I will say, um, I think you should visit here. Get a feel if you like... You know, talk to some people. Get a feel for the area if if you're considering coming here. Um, I will say there's a ton of amazing food. There are really good concerts in Portland. Uh, My dad is a food writer in the area. Um, and I don't know personally if I'll stay here forever. I think I'd like to go, um, somewhere more secluded. I think I'd love to live in Bozeman, Montana someday, but the Northwest is pretty solid. But again, I want to live, leave a caveat. Um, and I know this might bother people. You asked, you asked my opinion. I live a very isolated life. I'm not the right person probably to ask about this because I don't live in, I I don't go out. I don't do anything. I, I could literally live anywhere and be happy. Orange Beach, Alabama, if there weren't hurricanes, I'd be in Orange Beach, Alabama. It's cheap. It's awesome. There's a beach there. I would love that. As long as I have an internet connection, I'm happy. So I'm not really the right person. But that, again, is all my thoughts on the Northwest. I hope that's helpful, Quinn. Um, I'm rooting for you, man. College is a a big step. Uh, It's, I don't know. You're growing up. That's cool. I'm rooting for you in life. I hope you're doing well. And thank you for the question. I hope I answered it and gave it some justice. I know it's not perfect. Um, but I would, I would recommend you know, reach out to people, ask them about it, and and if you can. I know, look, when I was looking for colleges, I was I was too poor, I couldn't go visit anywhere, I I, I couldn't. Uh, you know, I lived in a mobile home at one point. My family was homeless at one point. Uh, I didn't have the money to go visit schools out of state. But if you do, I, I I recommend doing it. You know, go go come be here for a day and see if you like it. That's a really big deal, um, and uh, I recommend you do that. Calvin writes in. Calvin says, come on. Why I not my phone flip? Whatever. Calvin says, hey, Zach, I have a simple one today. Why isn't hockey bigger in the States? The actual gameplay of hockey is wildly entertaining, and the metagame is on par with baseballs. The rivalries are intense. The history is very fascinating, comparable only to college football to me. If hockey has most of what people like about other sports, why is it not huge? Oh man. Um couple reasons to me. Number one, hockey is incredible, incredible live. I'm actually a really big hockey fan. Um personally for me, hockey is a live event that you go to. If you ask me, it's not the same on television. Hockey's not the same Unless you're in the building, you got to be there. You got to feel the crowd. You hear people crashing into the boards. You feel the energy of the people around you. The chanting. the The total experience of hockey is on. Unbel- I, I love it, man. I, I really. One of my dreams in life is to go to a Stanley Cup final because the a like dude. I watched the Stanley Cup finals on TV this year. It was the game seven was in Boston, and the crowd in Boston was like, oh, like I. It wasn't the same. I knew that it's better in that building. I wanted to be there and part of that crowd in Boston where I don't have a care in the world who wins. I just wanted to feel that energy. I love that. And hockey has that feeling when you're there, it's it's just unbelievable. Um, now, it doesn't translate well to television. And it's not tracking the puck. I know some people have a hard time tracking the puck on when you watch hockey on TV. Um, it's the whole experience. The magic that makes hockey great is being there and you can't be there if you're on television, and it just doesn't translate well to TV. Um, now, I wonder if maybe if announcing was a little more relaxed. I mean, like, announcing makes a huge—the broadcasters make a huge difference. And if if broadcasters are more casual and a little more conversational and use less jargon and try to make it more inclusive, maybe it'd be more interesting. I don't know. That may, maybe that makes people mad. Um, but it's it sad also. Hockey doesn't have—it has star players, but they're, it's not the same— there's no LeBron James. There's no Tom Brady, Peyton Manning. There's not a face I can recognize other than Sidney Crosby. I don't I don't know if he's I think Sidney Crosby's out of the league, so I don't have no idea. Um and I, I wonder if I wonder if more people told if I knew what was going on in the NHL more, I think that might make me care more. And there's a weird cycle. Nobody watches because nobody knows the stories. The media doesn't cover it because nobody watches it, and nobody watches it because the media doesn't cover it. So Hockey's kind of in this cycle where they're stuck. Honestly, it makes me think maybe I should start a weekly hockey set. Would that be cool to do a weekly hockey segment? Actually, I I might enjoy that. Uh, like trying to figure out every week, what are the biggest stories happening right now in hockey? How are the standings? I do that with the NA, NBA too. Maybe that'd be fun. Just a once a week check-in. What's going on with hockey? I think I learn a lot more about the sport, and uh, maybe people could learn with me. if they, I could just bury it at the end of shows on Thursdays and say, hey, do you want to learn about hockey? Let's talk about it at the end of the show. I actually like straight up. That'd be fun. So I, I'm just deciding on the fly. I'm, I'm going to do a weekly hockey. Okay. Weekly hockey segment it is. We're going to do it. Uh, expect that this week for the first time. Cool. I'll start figuring out about hockey and we'll learn. And I have no idea how the playoff structure works. I don't know anything about it. So we'll have fun and we'll learn hockey. You can learn hockey with me. Um, maybe if I cover it, I, like I'll definitely be more interested if I know what's going on. So. Hockey, it is. We're in. Aiden writes in. Aiden talks about Michigan football. Aiden says, Hi Zach. I'm a Michigan fan and I'm actually very proud of the way the boys played against Ohio State on Saturday. But my question is, will Michigan always be a second tier program? They're always behind Ohio State, Penn State, and other powers in the country and I don't think they will ever be able to get to that next tier. Keep up the good work, Aiden. Here's the truth about Michigan football. They're more similar to Stanford than they are similar to Ohio State. Uh, they just lost to Ohio State. There's a lot to unpack here, first of all. They, number one, they lost to Ohio State the other day, a couple of weeks, a week and a half ago now, uh, 56 to 20, maybe two weeks ago now. 56 to 27 is what they lost to, to Ohio State. And all things considered, that's not terrible. A lot of people consider Ohio State to be the best team in like 20 years, maybe longer in college football. And all around, Ohio State is a better program than Michigan. They're a bigger brand. That's where high school football players that want to play in the NFL go. There's a couple schools. If you're a top recruit in college, in, in high school, and you are your goal is to play in the NFL, you don't care about competition, you know you're one of the best in your position, you're going to walk into a spot and eventually be a starter at that program, you probably pick Clemson, Alabama, or Ohio State because that's where NFL players go to get on their way to the NFL. So Ohio State's a bigger brand, right? There's, you know it's Ohio State, LSU, Alabama, and then a smattering of other programs and other schools. Um, but the bigger deal with Michigan is that academic standards hurt Michigan. First of all, getting guys to be accepted into the school is tough. You got you're limited by the grade point average. It's hard to get guys into Michigan football. They're more limited than other schools are because their standards and expectations are higher for their students. It's also a rigorous school. If I'm a student athlete and I can go to Michigan or Ohio State and I know that at Michigan, my classes are going to be really tough. I'm going to have a ton of homework. Literally, the classes are going to be harder and it's going to be more strained on me and more difficult to focus on football. Would you want to go to Michigan when you can have an easier life and go to another program and focus more on football? It's a hard sell. The fact that John Harbaugh, excuse me, Jim Harbaugh, Jim Harbaugh, the head coach of Michigan, consistently wins 10 games a year at Michigan. When you recognize that Michigan has really tough academic standards and they're more like Stanford than they are like Ohio State, I think you got to give Jim Harbaugh more slack. Nobody really understands that it's not just getting guys into the school, you're also just, you got more going on. I went to a really tough academic school my freshman year of college uh, and played football. And it's, dude, it's so hard when you have like a ton of homework and you got to go to practice and weights and this, it's a lot. And it makes it more difficult to be a student athlete when you got all that going on. Um, And because of academic standards, it makes it hard for schools like, it makes it hard for Michigan, particularly Michigan, to compete with schools like Ohio State that has still good programs at Ohio State, but they're not as rigorous and the standards aren't quite as high. And so, you know... Aside from Ohio State, you gotta recognize that Michigan still mostly dominates the big Ten. And I think because of all that, everything I just said, I think truthfully people gotta appreciate Jim Harbaugh more. He's done an incredible job at Michigan. Um, I think y- you gotta just say, look he- he's got he's doing the best he can. and I think Michigan's standards and their expectations are a little bit skewed and crazy. I they think they're gonna be Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State. It's just not gonna happen in that program. It's not possible, I don't think, uh, with what they have and the academic standards they have in place at Michigan. Okay, uh, Patrick writes in. Patrick says, Hi Zach, what do you think about the Chiefs this year? You didn't mention them as a Super Bowl tier team last episode. And I'm not salty about that, but I wonder how far do you think they can get in the playoffs? So yeah, I made a video the other day about the five teams... Uh, one of the, I said one of these five teams is going to win the Super Bowl. I said the Ravens, the Seahawks, the 49ers, the Saints, or the Patriots. Um, and I put the Patriots in not as a joke, but kind of as a, you know, look, it's the Patriots. It's Tom Brady. It's Bill Belichick. Are you really comfortable counting them out? No matter how they look right now, um, I'm not. And it's really only because of their name, like mostly just because of their name brand. They're not playing great football. They're 10-3, and three, but like the reason why the, I put the Patriots on the list was because it's the Patriots. Now, go down the list. Other than the Patriots, look at, you know, the Ravens are the Chiefs. I go the Ravens. Okay, well, the 49ers are the Chiefs. I go the 49ers. The Saints are the Chiefs. Who, who's better? The Saints. Okay, the Seahawks are the Chiefs. It's really close. I think that I go with the, the uh, Seahawks. And so I don't have anything against the Kansas City Chiefs. I think the Seattle Seahawks and the Kansas City Chiefs have a very... Similar issue in the, you know, I think it's, I just think it's a bigger problem in Kansas City. The Chiefs have an incredible quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, but he's their team. He's their entire team for the most part. And I do not trust Kansas City's defense, especially not compared to the Ravens or the Saints or the 49ers or even the Seahawks. And I, I believe the Chiefs are going to have a deep playoff run. They will. They're, they're really good, and they have a great quarterback. But at some point, whether it's in the championship game or maybe even the Super Bowl, I just don't think they can win the Super Bowl. At some point, their issues on defense are going to catch up with them. I mean, the defense in Kansas City has been really hit or miss all year, and you cannot afford to have a miss in the playoffs. I think they, they will at some point have a miss, and it's going to cost them. And so I, I just don't think the Chiefs have a good enough defense in spite of an incredible quarterback to win the Super Bowl. That's why I don't believe the Chiefs uh, can win the Super Bowl. They're like the sixth best team in the NFL, but sixth best is not as good as the rest. And, you know, I just think that there's other teams that are better. I think the Chiefs cannot win the Super Bowl because there's other teams that are more likely to do it. Tristan writes in. Tristan says, oh man, where is it? Says, hey, Zach. I hope everything is going well with you and your life. Besides quarterback, what's your favorite position or position group to talk about and why? Much love as always. Um, I have two I love to talk about. I love talking about receiver. Really anything. On, I played quarterback in college. I know offense really well. I think I'd be a great high school D offensive coordinator. I would love to be an offensive coordinator. I've got a school in mind. Uh, they have a prominent head coach. I, I would love to, once they ever, if they ever hire a good head coach, I would love to be the offensive coordinator for David Douglas High School in Portland. I really, I, I'm from there. I went to South. I lived in Southeast Portland. I love that place. Um, I know offense really well. I, running backs, receivers, offensive linemen, but um, offensive line is what I love to break down. I really do. Um, you know there are so many things people don't understand when it comes to protecting a quarterback or blocking for a running back um it'll often look like one guy screwed up when in reality it was the guy next to him or it was the quarterback who made a mistake who didn't understand that hey eight guys are blitzing you can't hold on to the ball or there's all kinds of factors and it's not a lot of people understand how an offensive line works I I think I do and so it's really fun to explain that and to break it down so much goes into blocking a lot of it's simply getting in the right spot you got to have guys line up properly and pick, go to the right assignment and go to the right area. And then the other half of the battle, this is what fires me up is you got to push guys around. Even if you get to the right spot, you still got to win your one-on-one battle and and physically succeed. And so, man, offensive line to me is an exciting, exciting uh, group of guys that I just love to talk about that I don't talk about very often, but if I had to pick a, a second position to talk about, it's the offensive line. That's the They're so important. They're so underappreciated. They're so good. Like, they're so... So underappreciated in the NFL, especially really all of football. Like offensive linemen, just do not get the due they respect. Maybe that's my inner quarterback, but I know how important a good offensive line is, and I love talking about that position and how often people are dead wrong. They don't understand whether an offensive line is good or bad, and what the truth is behind the the pressure that comes to a quarterback's face or the behind him as assignment. There's so much more that goes into it that people don't get, and I, I'm passionate about that. I love offensive line play. And uh, I like when I love seeing great offensive line play. It's so fun. You know, there are times where the, the, a good block gets so underappreciated. You'll see a, a left guard pull. There's a, there's a block against, uh, I was watching, what was I watching? The Packers and the Vikings earlier this year. And the, the Packers ran motion to the left. That flowed the defense to the left. Then they ran a screen back to the right. And the right guard for the Green Bay Packers sheds his guy. He runs 20 yards downfield. He fits up with the guy, pushes the dude into the end zone. They score a touchdown because that right guard hustled his butt off. He got in front of his guy. He pushed him backwards. That's an incredible block where a right guard runs 20 yards to make a block. Are you kidding me? And nobody will ever know or appreciate that. But that guy, I don't even know the guy's name. I don't know the guy's name. And he deserves so much respect for that block. He made a touchdown happen. And we don't talk about offensive line very often. They don't get the respect they deserve. So, man, I just, uh, clearly to me, like offensive line play fires me up and makes me just, oh, dude, it's such a big deal. It's so awesome. Okay, last question of the day. Bernardo writes in. Bernardo says, hi, Zach. Greetings from Brazil. First of all, thanks for providing great content episode in and episode out. SOS really offers a different and more authentic view about sports than the conventional media out there. I'd like to share a story involving my personal life in SOS. A couple months ago, my grandfather passed away. It was the first time I lost someone really close to me, and it was one of the saddest days of my life. It all happened around 12 a.m., so I stayed around with my family until about 4 a.m., and then went home to wait for the funeral services that would start about 7 a.m. But I couldn't get any sleep, and I was devastated and had a really bad anxiety crisis. But in those three hours, between 4 a.m. and 7 a.m., SOS was the only thing that could put my mind and my heart a little bit at ease. I listened to a couple episodes, and one of them was you the one where you talked about Dylan the Pickle. So he managed to put a smile on my face, even in a really bad moment. And for that, I will be forever grateful for having you and SOS in my life. Um, Man, Bernardo, thanks for sharing. Dude, struggles are hard. I'm going through a breakup. Struggling is hard. Uh, loss is difficult. I just lost my best friend. Like, I, I, dude, I get it, man. It's, it's hard to lose people you love. And so I, I just, uh, I remember when my grandma died too. Uh, my, I think you say grandpa. I remember when uh, my grandma died. It sucks, man. Loss just is awful. There's no way, other way to put it. And so, Bernardo, thank you for reaching out. Thank you for saying that. Um, now, Bernardo says, now changing the subject. I have a question for you. Do you really believe in the concept of a winning window? Or is this just a consequence of an inflated market that overpays quarterbacks? I mean, as the most important player player of a team, shouldn't the quarterback be the first one committed to extending that window with a moderate contract and a better roster? And how good does a quarterback have to be to win, even with a bad roster around him, is his contra- if his contract is massive? See you, man. Uh, Bernardo. Man, um... There's a lot of questions there. There's a lot to talk about. I will say this. I have never understood. There's, there's this one thing I've never understood. What's really the difference between $20 million or $30 million? Now you'll be like, well, $10 million. Sure. But like, either way, if I was a great quarterback, I'd I'd take $20 million a year for five years. Think about do the math here, right? If you are, you know, in the end you make less money. But the opportunity. million a year versus $30 million a year gives your team 10 more million dollars to spend and bring in better players. And I would want good teammates. Having crappy teammates is the worst. I transferred in high school from bad school to a good school. I overnight played with far, far better, talented, more talented players. And I was like, oh, this is awesome. I have guys that are good. They can catch jump balls that are six foot five instead of five foot eight at receiver. Like this is fun. Having talented teammates is awesome. And I would want to, and any, whether you're in business or football or sports or you whether you're, I think friendships are huge. You gotta be around good people and you wanna be around and work with good, smart, intelligent people who are good at their job. And so, I mean, look, if, if you make $30 million for five years, you have $150 million dollars you make $20 million for five years, you have $100 million. $50 million is a big amount of money, sure. But either way, you're set for life. At some point, you're fighting for more money, and it's kind of just like, it's just more money. Like $1 million versus $20 million, that's a huge difference. But $20 million or $30 million, like, come on, man. Like I, I grew up in a mobile home. I, I was homeless at one point in my life. I was homeless. I grew up in Southeast Portland. You give me $100 million, that changes my life forever. Whether it's $100 million or $150, either way, I'm set for life. My life is transformed forever. I just don't get it. And, and really the truth is if you make, you make $50 million less from your, your, team, your team salary, but you win more, you have the opportunity to have more endorsements and have more brand deals and more commercials because you're a big deal because you're successful in the NFL. I just never, I've never understood the like, you can make $22 million. Well, what about 25? Don't you wanna push for a little bit more? Like, I just like, it's transformative money. You're set for life. You're set for life. What's 50 more million? Like, I know how crazy that sounds because, like, it's a huge amount. But again, I'll tell you, like, $100 million changes my life forever. Is $150 million really changed my life that much more forever? No, it's either way. I am set for life, and my life is forever changed. So, man, I, I, I don't get it. I, I don't understand the, the desire for, like, let's get as much, let's suck as much money out of this team as possible. Like, I get guys want their money. But don't you want to also have a high quality of life where you're winning and have good people around you and good teammates? It's, to me, like, it just makes sense. I, I, I don't understand that this push for, a lot of it's ego, like, I'm the highest paid quarterback and the- I, I I don't know, I, I don't know, like, I, again, as a guy who grew up in <laughs> Southeast Portland, and not the good part, like Gresham, where my my friends were, you know, they grew up, and a lot of them are gangbangers now, and some of them are dead, and they're drug dealers, like, I, I lived in a mobile home as a kid, $100 million changes my life forever, would 150 really make that big of a difference, like 50 more million, like, I don't, like either way, I'm set, here's the thing. Um, the best chance for a team to win a Super Bowl is during a quarterback's rookie contract. You're paying your rookie quarterback, and really that those first five years of a first-round quarterback in the rookie contract, you pay him about $7 million a year for about five years, and so do you have more money to spend on other positions that are not quarterback? Most quarterbacks in the NFL are massively overpaid. How many quarterbacks deserve to make $35 million a year? Russell Wilson makes thirty four. Russell Wilson's incredible. Not a lot of guys, like Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Russell Wilson, uh, Aaron Rodgers. Who else deserves that much money? There's not many other guys that deserve that much money. Like, Carson Wentz, the Eagles quarterback, is incredibly talented. And Carson Wentz is not the reason why his team is not winning. But the truth about Carson Wentz is, he needs help, he needs better teammates, and he got paid 30, like $33 million a year, and he's losing? He can't win with less help. He's not Russell Wilson. He's not... Sean Watson or Patrick Mahomes. So I I think man, most quarterbacks like Dak Prescott wants 35 million. No way. No way. You're not winning now. You want to get paid more and have worse teammates and you think you'll win again? Like no way. No, not happening. Most quarterbacks that want 35 million. are delusional and crazy and I think most quarterbacks in the NFL are massively overpaid. And that's not the market. That's not the market for Russell Wilson is not the same as the market for Dak Prescott. I don't care. They're not the same level of talent. So I just, that's my whole take on financially and quarterbacks and all that stuff. Yeah. It's better if your quarterback makes less money because you can get him better teammates. And if you're a quarterback and who you want to win and you say you want to win all the time, then you'll take less money in my opinion to play with better people. I rest my case. Uh, Let's end the show today with this. Um, You're struggling? Please go get help, man. I I am struggling. I went to I I, you know today I went for a hike. I went and saw my dad and his wife. I went to dinner with uh, my buddy Nathan. We watched the Rams and the Seahawks last night. I got dinner with my friend Russell. I'm having a hard time, and I've reached out to people in my life and said, "Hey, I love you. I need your support. I need to talk to you." And I've been doing that. And so I encourage you if you're struggling, go get. Help. About four years ago now, a little, little less than four years ago, my younger brother took his life and it was the worst thing I've ever been through. And my younger brother did not go get help. No, he never told anybody he was struggling. One day I walked into his bedroom, found him dead on the floor. That was it. That's painful. Do not suffer in silence. I, I, I really am begging you, if you're struggling, go get help. The suicide hotline is 1 800 273 8255. 1 800 273 8255. The suicide issue in America is a big deal. In the world, like just suicides, awful. I, I my brother died that way. It's terrible. And here's the other thing: make sure that people in your life know how much you love them. I called my brother tonight. My little brother Zeke is awesome. He goes to Humboldt State in California. We talked for about an hour, and it was great. And I told him I, I ended the phone call. Hey man, I love you. I'm proud of you. You're awesome. Tell the people in your life you love them. Make it clear to them how much you care about them, and just be on it. Like don't be afraid to have real conversations. And don't be afraid to talk about more than sports and movies and yada, yada. Don't be afraid to be honest and genuine. And I, I'm begging you, please tell the people in your life you love them. And don't be afraid to go with a little more depth and have a conversation more than that's with more depth and meaning than sports or movies or video games. Guys, my name is Zach Shomler. Thank you so very much. If you're struggling, go get help. I hope you have a great day. And uh, we'll see you on at some point on Tuesday for the next episode of Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you so very much. Um, I am... I'm trying not to be a wreck. Uh, this episode was really hard. Uh, just, it's my first episode since uh, I, my girlfriend and I broke up, and that's just, uh, it's it's the uh, it's a painful, tremendous painful loss. And so I'm doing the best I can. Uh, I, I appreciate your patience and support. Um, and uh, I will say also, it's a little late now, I guess, but this entire episode has timestamps. I've worked really hard to make this a good experience for people on YouTube. If you want to watch this episode, and uh, hope you have a great day. I'm bum. Bam, we are done.